morning, Renaissance. My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I got a question for the room. If you had 24-7 access to Jesus, what would you ask him to teach you? If you had 24-7 access to Jesus, right here, right now, riding the sea train with you, what would you ask him to teach you? And maybe uh, today, this morning, somebody invited you, and you uh, haven't been to church for a long time, uh, and you're back in church for the first time in a long time. This is not a pop quiz This is not meant to be super deep. Whatever you know of Jesus right now, and for those of you uh, who maybe have been journeying with God, whatever you know of Jesus, I I ask the question, if you had 24-7 access to him, what would you ask him to teach you? Now, one thing you'll get to know about me, I'm a very good husband. So when I thought about this question, I was like, yo, what would my wife want me to learn? So let me ask Jesus. Chris, I see you, man. What would my wife need me to learn, right? So the first thing I thought about was when Jesus turned water into wine. That's what I would ask. I would ask to learn how to turn water into wine. Teach me that. Yo, teach me that skill. Yo, there's been times she's asked me to go out in the cold, like, maybe just get a bottle of wine, like, we could just celebrate together, me and you, be so nice, please. I would have loved to walk past that Poland spring and be like, Malbec. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whole lot, babe. I got, it. I got it for you. We prefer red wine to all my white wine drinkers. It's okay. And if you don't drink, that's okay, too. The other thing I would ask, because, uh, see, I don't cook, you know? I grew up, my mom was the cook, and then my sister, she is like a legitimate chef, and so she cooks, and so I've always learned how to eat. Um, so there's a story in the Bible where Jesus actually takes a little boy's lunch, and he turns it into food for thousands of people. So what I would ask Jesus to teach me is how to turn $100 at Costco's into like a year's worth of food. Like how would that, I would love to be able to do that. Let's just go spend $100, get some chicken, and then, yo, multiply it, right? Get some waffles, multiply it. AJ, AJ go to the, to the fridge, he'll, oh, daddy, we're running out of waffles, there's only two left. Close it. <laughs> Open it back. Boom, yeah. The 24 count, multiple, multiple times. You know what I'm saying? Man, if you had 24-7 access to Jesus, what would you ask him to teach you? And see, although our imagination is dope, the Bible actually tells us what those uh, who, the disciples who had 24-7 access to Jesus, what they actually asked to be taught. It says in the, the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, he was praying, he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught 
his disciples. And I want to give a quick context. Uh, when they say that, just as John taught his disciples, what was happening at this time is that uh, um, there were all these pockets of disciples. John and his disciples had a certain way they prayed and, and a certain way that, that they experienced um, and lived out their team uh, dynamics. And what was happening is Jesus' disciples were now beginning to form their crew. And they're like, yo, other crews have their prayers. We want to have a prayer that distinguishes us. We are Jesus's disciples. And um, uh, I, like that, that is a, that, that, that context right there, I think is, is helpful, but uh, it's amazing to me. It, I am fascinated by the fact that what they ask for is to be taught how to pray. See, these dudes at their, at their disposal, they had the, the memory of Jesus with a dude who had a skin disease, skin disease bowing down to him and Jesus uh, actually touching him just with one touch and that dude's skin disease going away, the Bible says, immediately. They had that in their memory bank, but they didn't ask for that. They, had, they also had the fact that, like I said, uh, there was a, there's a story in the Bible where, where Jesus is and his disciples are out in the desert and, and all these people come and the disciples are like, yo, how are we going to feed them? Jesus says, you figured out. Okay, they couldn't really figure it out. They're like, yo, we don't have enough. All we have is this dude's, this little kid's lunch. How are we going to feed thousands of them? And Jesus says, Give it, give it to me. And he takes it. He prays over it. He blesses it. And it's enough. The Bible says that there are baskets overflowing at the end of this from a lunchbox to baskets of food. Like they had that at their disposal. They didn't choose that. There's another account where Jesus is seen um, going to, to uh, somebody comes to Jesus, says, yo, my daughter's dying. Um, Jesus has this small uh, time in between where he heals a woman who was bleeding for years. He, he, for years, he heals her with one touch, but then he continues on the journey. He gets down to the place where the little girl is. He steps into the room and he says, yo, everybody chill out. She's just sleeping. Girl, wake up. And she was raised from the dead. She was clinically dead. She wasn't just sleeping because the father wouldn't have said, Jesus, I need you to come heal my daughter. He walks in. He heals her. He raises her from the dead. They had that at their disposal. That's not what they chose. They chose to ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. That's fascinating to me. What was it about Jesus' prayer life? What was it about him? What was it about the dynamic in which he engaged in prayer? I don't know, but it had to be so intriguing that out of all the things they could have asked to be taught, they asked to be taught how to pray. And I want to pause here really quick to the Christians in the room and those of us who maybe you don't subscribe to being a Christian, maybe you're back to church for the first time in a long time and you're, and you're trying to figure this thing out, um, I want you to hold tight. We're going to continue with the message. I want to talk to the Christians in the room for a second. The people that have 24-7 access to you, what are they asking to be taught? Is there anything about your life that those around you are like, I want to know about that. Tell me more about that. How do you do it? Who are you? What is it? 
It's fascinating to me that out of all the things the disciples could have chosen, they chose to ask to be taught how to pray. But here's what we know. We know Jesus modeled it. We know Jesus actually had to engage in this consistent prayer time. Think about it. If we reread Luke 11, chapter 1, it says, He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, clearly they saw him praying all the time. They didn't make the request until after they saw him pray. The request came after they saw him pray. But there's so many times in, there's in the Bible where, where, where it, the Bible and the gospel writers highlight Jesus praying, and I want to I share a few. In Luke 6, verse 12, Jesus, before he's deciding who's he, who he is going to choose uh, to, to make his team that's going to turn the world upside down, listen to what the gospel of Luke tells us. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer. And for those who, again, if you're back to church for the first time in a long time, I'm not going to get into the fact, I don't want you to be guilted into praying more. All I'm trying to do is highlight the fact that Jesus and his prayer life was important. And he modeled that for the disciples. Matthew 14, 23 tells us this. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray well into the night. He was there alone, just him, praying, away from the noise, away from the crowds. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, and I love the, Luke as a gospel writer because Luke actually thinks about you and I. He writes his gospel so it can be uh, understood best in the non-Jewish community, all of us. Luke writes specifically with us in mind, and Luke says this, Yet he, Jesus, often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. See, there was something fascinating about Jesus' prayer life. There was something about how he prioritized prayer that was so intriguing to the disciples that out of all the things they had at their disposal, They chose to ask to be taught how to pray. That question, plus the highlighted times that the Bible shows us that Jesus would pray, tells us that prayer is important. And man, I want us to at least walk away today with that. Prayer is super important. It's an important thing. It's the lifeline of the Christian life. It's the the vein, the major artery of the Christian life. And if you've been walking with God, that's true. And if you are just figuring out who God is to you, that's true. Prayer is important. But if prayer is so important, if the scriptures help us see that, if this question helps us see that, if prayer is really that important, why do we struggle with it so much? Maybe I should say, why do I struggle so much? Why is prayer so easily the thing that we throw in the I'll do it tomorrow basket? Why is prayer the thing that we, we, we just subconsciously feel like, yo, we got enough time, I'll pray later? If it's so important, if the vitality of prayer has been seen all throughout Scripture and in Jesus' life, why is it something you and I struggle in practicing? 
Here's one, and this is true for me. I don't know if this is true for you. Maybe it could be. Maybe somebody in the room can relate. But here's one. I don't plan it. See, I do a good job of saying, yo, I got you. I'm going to pray about that. I got you. Y- y'all, y'all done it. Y'all done it. Don't, don't, y'all done it. Yo, I, oh, really? Yo, I'm going to pray about that. Right? Yeah, somebody laughing. We've done it. But, but if I were to be honest, I say that, but then it doesn't make it to my calendar. The truth is, uh, what, is what, needs, what, what is planned gets done. We typically, what we typically do is we say we're going to pray, but we don't actually plan time in our schedule that we're actually saying, yo, this is the time where I'm actually going to go pray. <laughs> I'm reminded of a story. I remember the first time I met my beautiful wife. I didn't know her from Adam at this point. I, I've never seen this woman ever in my life. And so I was taking a job with Young Life. I was becoming uh, what we call the area director here in Harlem. And there was a church that was here in Harlem that had um, partnered with Young Life and said, yo, we want to see the teenagers in this community come to know Jesus. Great. Sounds like a dope mission. Let's get it. (laughs) And I remember taking the job and like, yo, I'm excited about this job. I can't wait. I get there. Um, I, I met one, one of the pastors had seen one of our Young Life activities. And so he's like, yo, on this particular Sunday, why don't you come, come hang out, come meet some of the people in the community. You know what I'm saying? Get your network on. Cool. I go, hear the message. After the message, this woman walks up to me and she's like, um, check this out. Yeah, y'all know my wife. She's like, yo, check this out. Um, I've been estranged from my dad for a long time, uh, but he's coming uh, to, to stay with me for the next seven days. It might be kind of rough. Like, I don't know how it's going to be. I need you to pray for me. And she bounced. <laughs> and I was like, okay, light skin. Like, all right. <laughs> oh, all right. You want me to pray? Okay. <laughs> all right. You see the anointing. You know what I'm saying? All right. I see you. So, like, she really, nah, seriously, that was our, literally, our first conversation ever was that. That was our first exchange. So, fast forward, I'm going to tell you the real story, right? I'm going to give y'all the real because y'all family. So, fast forward, we're married eight years, right? Going on nine. And probably sometime last year, we got into a little, you know, challenge, a little, uh, you know, marital discussion. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Y'all know, y'all know how it go. And she was upset uh, with me, of course, and I'm always, I always got to figure out how to do something different. Um, but no, I do. I, a lot of times it's me, guys. Let's just be honest. All right? But I, so, hey. Um, but so, I rem- so, so, she, so we having our little kind of exchange, our back and forth. And she goes right after it, right? So you know when, when your wife leaves the conversation without it being resolved, it's kind of like, dang, what, like she, she stepped away from the conversation. And then she came back, like, you know what? <laughs> she was like, um, remember when we first met and I asked you to pray for, my, for me and my dad? Did you pray? I was like, yo, it's been eight joints. <laughs> How you asking me that now? It's been eight years. Like, I love you. <laughs> and why would you ask me that? 
Hey, yo, I was, I was convicted because I had to be honest. I, I actually didn't pray because I didn't plan it. I remember that scenario. I remember that situation. And I didn't leave her and, like, write it down. Like, yo, let me pray for Shorty Lightskin, who's dad. Like, I didn't do that. And, yo, I really think you and I, some of, some of the reason, maybe one of the reasons we struggle in practice in prayer is because we don't plan it. It's true. Whatever gets planned gets done. And too often we don't have time to pray because we simply don't plan it. Here's another one. And, again, this is definitely true for my life. Maybe it's true for yours. I don't know how to measure it. Like, what's a good prayer? Yes, right? Like, I'm going to ask God about that. Like, we, what, like, what's the rubric for a good prayer, right? Like, chemistry, if you want to be a good chemist, you know the periodic table, right? H2O, it tells you two, two hydrogens, one oxygen. You have a framework, right? Like, what is the framework for a good prayer? Lord, yes, thank you, amen. What's the rubric? We don't have one. And I, I know for me, sometimes I struggle in my prayer life because I don't really know if I'm doing it right. I don't really know if this is the right thing. I remember kind of be, being a young Christian and the, the first time I was in a group setting with, with people uh, who who. who grew up in the faith community, and I did not. So uh, this was kind of new to me, but I remember being in the circle, and they were like, now we're going to turn to the person to our left, and I want you to pray for them. And I was like, yeah, that, all right, that's what's up. And the person to the left of me was supposed to be, like, I knew the person, but I had forgot their name, right? So now I'm worried. I'm all anxious I was like, Lord, bless my bro and shower him with goodness, his life and everything about it. His, like, I didn't think you could open your eyes, right? I didn't know what a good prayer was. And oftentimes we wrestle, we struggle because maybe, maybe we're not praying right and we get discouraged and we throw it in the, I'll do it later bag. And I think part of that is what I've done over the years. I've become really good at comparing my prayers to other people. And so one of the ways I try to measure it in error is I listen to somebody else pray. And then I try to extract the extravagant words that they use to make my prayer sound super dope. I have a friend, uh, she does Young Life in Brooklyn. Her name is Genevieve. And if you hear her pray, it feels like the earth is moving. She will pray the roof off of this school. I promise you. And I, there have been times in my life where I've said, I don't pray like him or her. And I struggle. I wrestle. And so I get discouraged and I throw prayer into the I'll do it later basket. Here's another one that I think is true for all of us. This probably hits home to everybody. I think we see prayer incorrectly. 
And here's what I mean. There are two main ways I think we see prayer in error. The first is I think we see prayer as a duty. I think we see it as a task, as something that I'm supposed to do as the valiant person who is serving Jesus. I am supposed to go to him in prayer. For a long time, this is my confession growing up. Again, I didn't grow up in the church, but I, as I learned how to walk with Jesus, I remember people were like, yo, just pray about it. And I didn't really quite know what that meant. It's not like anybody walked alongside of me and taught me what that meant. So in my mind, I, I realized that I developed that I, I really thought that there was X number of prayers I was supposed to pray to be a good Christian. I really thought that there was this number that I was supposed to hit. And once I hit that number, oh, yeah, my prayer life was going to be real. But in all actuality, that's a moving target, and it doesn't even really exist. And therefore, I'm chasing after air. And I, and I begin to feel like, yo, prayer is this, this task that I have to get done. And if I don't get it done, then God's going to look at me and shake his head. And that's just... Not true. That perspective, that perspective of prayer is incorrect. The second way uh, I think we see prayer in error and the, the, we error in our perspective of prayer is this. We typically or we often, and I want to be sensitive here, we often pray just for things. Now, I know there's many of us in here, and I want to be very sensitive to this because my wife does this all the time. There are many of us in here who say, you know what, Aswan, listen, I, I, that's not me because uh, when, I, when I wake up in the morning, before my feet touch the ground, I'm giving thanks to God. <laughs> and listen, I want to honor that. Like, yo, real talk, I, I, I honor that, and I believe God honors that. But in my life, and maybe this could be true if we were to be honest, in my life, there is a disproportionate amount of times that I bring requests to God versus anything else. I typically go asking for something. I, as a young Christian, I feel like because no one really shaped me and taught me around this idea of prayer, I developed a, a, a habit of consumerism. That I went to, that whenever I was in deficit, I just went to God in prayer and he was supposed to give it to me. Whenever I needed something, yo, Lord, all right, you control everything clearly. So, yo, I need this. And here's where that became a challenge. Here's where I think ultimately it, it, it blinds us from, from the experience that God wants to have, that wants us to have in prayer. Ultimately, if you continue to go to someone who you don't feel like is giving you what you need or want, when you need or want it, you're not going to continue to go to that person. Therefore, we struggle practicing prayer, being people of prayer. And here's what I've concluded. With all those struggles, again, I hope that something maybe hit home for you. But what I've realized, those things in my life, what I've realized is I really don't know why I pray. I really need to understand why I pray. 
See, I, I really think ultimately uh, the Bible helps us uh, in, in many ways. But one of the most fascinating things to me is, is particularly the scriptures that I highlighted. None of those scriptures actually give us the content of what was prayed about. Luke 5, 16, it says, Yet he often withdrew to deserted places. Some translations say lonely places. He often withdrew to these deserted, lonely places, and he prayed. What did he pray about? I don't know that the Scripture wants us to really be so concerned with the content. I think the Scripture wants us to be more concerned with the fact that he was connecting with God. Maybe prayer is less about content and it's more about connection. And that was revolutionary for me. And listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't go to God with our needs. I'm not saying we don't bring requests to God. Please hear me. If you are coming back to church for the first time in a long time, I'm not saying that, hey, you should not go to God with things that you need and, and with the, the, the burdens and the troubles that are happening in your life. We're, there is no greater place to go. Yes, we go there. But I wonder if for the person who's been walking with Jesus and the person maybe who is just now starting this journey, I wonder if both alike, we need to augment the fact that it's not so much about our content, it's about our connection. See, the question is, why do we pray? Why should I pray? Um, I remember reading an article as I was preparing for this. And in psychology, it was, it's called like good psychology or positive psychology. And in this article, they were talking about the fact that humans have uh, this somewhat innate need to know why, right? It starts probably at like two, two and a half with Axel, who always asks why. Why, daddy? Because I said so. Get <laughs> right? But we have this innate desire to know why, and it was it it, it framed the the article was framed in relation uh, kind of in talking about communication, where if you get in a communication uh, challenge with someone, it's really good to actually seek to know why, right? So when Heather gets upset with me, what I'm supposed to do is figure out why is she really upset, right? I'm not supposed to just respond to the fact she just blacked on me for no reason. I didn't even do nothing. Right? I'm not supposed to respond to that. I'm supposed to really try to like figure out why she's upset. But real talk, when I do figure out why, we actually are in a better place. We actually get to somebody says, Yeah, husband, you should be figuring out why. But we actually get to a better place because a lot of the obstacles or, or the allergies that she may have unnerved in me get subsided because now I really know why. And in the same way, I think for us as those who are journeying with Jesus, I think uh, the way we push through some of the obstacles that we feel that come against us in our prayer life, the way we push through that is to really understand why we pray. That is important. I remember um, 
there was a young man I was working with, uh, and he, he had been in jail. He'd been incarcerated for some time. He came home, and uh, he would come visit me, and, you know, we'd hang out, get some food, and then he'd get on the train. I realized this. He would get on the train, and he'd actually just, like, sleep on the train, and then he'd come back to my house the next day to kind of hang out. And so I realized this, and one night I'm like, yo, uh, listen, man, you don't have to, like, sleep on a train. If you don't got nowhere to go, you can sleep here. And that turned into three years of him living with me. No, in a good way. Like, I mean, a little, a little annoying, but in a good way. Uh, he became a son to me. And <clears throat> I remember one day, and if you, if you knew anything about his life, uh, telling him to just pray about it, that's not, that's not going to rock. That doesn't answer anything. That, that doesn't do any justice for what has happened to him in his life. Most of it beyond his control. So just telling him, yo, pray about it, like, that doesn't work. But I remember we were got in this conversation about God, and <laughs> I made the mistake. I was like, yo, you should pray about it. Uh, lack of words, right? This kind of a cliche thing. Then he looked at me. He looked me in my eyes. He said, Aswan, why should I pray? God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. What am I praying for? And I remember being stuck. I remember in the pit of my soul being like, dang, what do I say to him? And I think God has an answer for us in that. I think he wants us to know why we pray. And so I want to give two reasons, two reasons why I think we should pray. And I hope uh, you take these away and they become uh, things that you can use in your personal life. And here's the one, and, and, and I want you to guard against it when you hear this first one, guard against the fact that this maybe is the right answer and take it out that bucket uh, and look at it more as an invitation. The first reason I think we pray, and I think this is really biblical, is because Jesus did it. It's because we, when you say that you are a follower of Christ, what does that mean? Let, let me break it down just a little bit. To be a disciple, it wasn't like you just woke up and like, yo, I'm a disciple. Nah. How, the way it happened, you actually realize from the age of like 12 and 13, after you memorized the first five books of the Bible in Jewish culture, you then said, you know what? Where's the t who's the teacher that I want to follow? Oh, that teacher. And you literally gave all of your life over to that teacher. You packed up everything that you had and you went to be and live with that teacher. You believed so much in their teaching that you not only wanted to duplicate and share their teaching, but you also wanted to live it out and you wanted to practice it. So when you say you follow Jesus, those of us who say we follow Jesus, not only do we believe in his teaching, but we actually want to practice it. And so when the, when the Bible says that Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed it's not rocket science. We just have to model that. We have to get away and actually pray. And again, I wonder if some of us don't do that because we're worried about the content. Maybe we should be focused more about the connection. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. The first reason I think we pray is because God embodied in the person of Jesus did it. He modeled it for us. And any good biblical practice, I think, starts with modeling what Jesus has done. 
Now, here's the second one, and I think for me, this is the one that has hit me, and this is the one, uh, uh, it's kind of underlying to everything that I've been saying thus far. I think the second reason is we pray. Why we pray? We pray to experience God. And like I said, sometimes we have this disproportionate amount of requests that we bring to, we bring to God. And I wonder, I wonder if we were like a Word document, uh, we would just press enter, 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 and create, create this space. And the priority of our prayer life was to connect with God. All the requests that we have, all the things that we wrote down that we're going to tell God and bring to God, press enter so that they... They get down lower on the page, and there's this big piece of the, the, the beginning of the page, and we stamp on there, the reason why I pray is to experience God. See, the psalmist says it like this in, in Psalm 34, 8. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know how you do that? By, not by bringing a notepad to your time to pray. You actually put the notepad down or keep it in your back pocket but say, God, I just need to be with you. I just need to experience you. I need to be in your presence because there's no place I'd rather be. When I'm in your presence, everything is different. Everything changes even the request that I thought I was going to bring to you, maybe that would change. Maybe, maybe I shift up what I actually thought I was going to bring because when I stepped in your presence, I was like, oh, snap, this is amazing. What if we stop emphasizing content and we focus more on connection? What if the reason the Bible doesn't illustrate or highlight or tell us what the content of Jesus' prayers were, and some they do. Like we get the Lord's Prayer. We see that. Actually in Luke's cha in chapter 11, uh, after they ask to be taught how to pray, Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. But what if the Bible is wanting us to get something deeper? And I think it's connection. It's experiencing God. And when that becomes your why to prayer, oh, it's not dutiful at that point. It's not a task. There's not a number you can hit. Oh, you know what? I actually really want to plan this because this is something that I really need. I really want to experience God. So I'm going to be overwhelmed. And because of, because of I've been overwhelmed, I'm actually going to make sure it makes it to my calendar because the things important to me show up on my calendar. I don't care if you're disorganized. Because I'm disorganized, and still, the things that are important to me, when Heather says we got something to do with the family, it's better be on the calendar. What if we stop overemphasizing content and focused more on connection? I love this passage, this Old Testament passage in, in Exodus 33, and it's um, Moses is leading um, the, the people of Israel through this, this time in their, in their life where they're trying to figure out how to get to this destination that God told them to get to. And, and Moses is leading them, and they get to this conversation, and, and Moses says, uh, uh, God, God says to Moses, he says, you know what, um, take the people up to the mountain, and I'm not going with you. Because they're stiff-necked people, and, and I will, I'm going to hurt them. I'm angry. I actually don't want to be in their presence, so take them up there. I'm not going to go. 
And Moses says to God, he says, well, if you're not going, I'm not going. Because the one thing that distinguishes the Christian in the world is the presence of God. Moses says, we can't go without your presence. And then I love this. I love in Exodus 33, uh, uh, verses 7 through 11. I want to read this really quickly. Now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp at a distance from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Think about that. Outside the camp, away from all the noise, he pitched this tent. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting. Everybody around, including the camp, all of the people knew that was the place. That tent set up outside the camp, oh, that's where God is. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent. Man, what if we saw prayer more as an invitation? What if we saw prayer more as collaboration? That the the God of the universe wants to come down and converse with you and I. And the Lord would speak speak with Moses. It doesn't even say to. It says speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship, each one at the door of his tent. The Lord would speak with Moses, listen to this, face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Think about the times that you've sat across the table from one of your closest, your best friends, and you are sharing in dialogue, you are communicating, you are laughing, you are crying, you are sharing your goals and ambitions, and they're sharing their goals and their ambitions. You are sharing your frustrations, they're sharing their, their frustrations. You're sharing your joys, they're sharing their joys. Think about the intimacy that's formed in that. That's what prayer is supposed to be. It's not a checklist of requests. It's not just a haphazard, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. God wants to speak to us face to face like one talks to a friend. You know what I think uh, the disciples were amazed with? How Jesus connected with God. And I think they were like, yo, so if that's what's happening when you pray, yo, teach me that. Because that's what's missing in my life. That's what's missing. Man, what if we didn't focus or emphasize so much the content, but we focused more on the connection? What if we augmented what we think about prayer? What if why we pray is simply because God modeled it for us through the person of Jesus and that ultimately we pray to experience God? What if that's what daddy wanted us to know? What would your prayer life look like now? Would you pray differently? Would you go differently? Would you prioritize differently? There's nothing wrong with the, yo, Lord, what's up? I love you. I got to get to work. (laughs) I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but what if there's something deeper that God is inviting us to? What if there's a conversation that's much more intimate 
It's much more special. What if that is what prayer and our prayer experience was intended to be? I'll leave you with this. Here's how I want you to apply this message. One, I want you to plan it. And I don't want you to plan what you're going to say. I want you to plan the time that you're actually going to make in your schedule to meet with God. Make your own mini ten of meetings. I want you to put it in your schedule today, even now. Maybe some of you even now pull out your phone, put it on the calendar. Tomorrow, at what time are you going to go meet with God, the God of the universe who wants to speak to you face to face? Second thing I want you to do, I want you to find your place. Find your place. It says he withdrew to deserted and lonely places. Where is the place that you can look? Like even if it's a place somewhere in the city that you're walking by, you're like, yo, that's where I meet with God. Lord, I'll be there at 3 o'clock tomorrow. What if you had that place? Find your place. And then enter, 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 enter. Make that space on your list of importance. Of, on your list of priority, make that big space in the beginning. I just want to experience God. Not only do I want you to plan it and find your place, I want you to make the priority. Work hard. This is, this is going to take work. Your human nature is going to pull you in other different directions. You're going to get distracted. You're going to have requests that you really want God to hear. But I challenge you. Fight against that and go just to experience God. Say, God, before I bring you all of this, I want to experience your presence. I want to leave you with one of my prayers because this has changed my life. See, I'm unworthy of the gift you gave. But because I share the gospel, I'm going to speak for days. You said you know me like a book. You could flip my page. You said the world's going to be shook when you split the grave. So Holy Spirit, come make me over. Please take my heart in your hand. Come make it over. I need a lot of courage. Make me your soldier. Put your fire in my heart. Please make me bolder. Holy Spirit, step right on in. Please. Search the hearts of the people. Shed your light on sin. Be hard. Don't be light on sin. Believers and unbelievers, you can shed your light on them. So Holy Spirit, come walk with me. Come park in my heart. It's not enough for you to talk to me. Holy Spirit, be the salt for me so I can walk around this earth and be salt for free. I want to grow, Lord. Please take me higher. No, not rich. Don't make me flyer. See the power that I got. You the great supplier. It's an honor for me to serve the great Messiah. So unleash the fire, release a rider, come shape me like dough from a pizza parlor. Because of you, I got strength. When I seek the Father, show me how to share your word. Be the streets provider. Lord, increase desire so I can speak to the streets plus reach the choir. Every line that I speak, hope each inspire people to walk with you or at least inquire. Why your name so rich and exalted higher? How you walked on water with no sorts of wires? How dudes make decisions without talking prior? We disobeyed God, then we fought the liar. Lord, reach real deep, interrupt my speech so I could be a vessel and uncorrupt my streets or at least bring peace to the hearts of men. We got to listen for the spirit because it starts with him.
Amen.